Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, we are recording for Contrarians Corner. Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians. Hello, Julio. Welcome back from less than 24 hours ago when we were recording last. Got a double shot of Travolta this week. It's, yeah, it's like a double shot of espresso. It's just enough to get you through the week. Uh, last week, it was it was the new, the, the uncharted territory of Nick Cage. Mm-hmm. This week, we got back to the comfortable, the, <laughs> the well-known uh, a team-up that we knew would, wouldn't disappoint. The wise prospector, Sam Jackson, is here to comfort us and bring us back to our comfort zone. Uh, We're here today to discuss Basic, a 2003 uh, military thriller starring, of course, the man of the hour, John Travolta, the man of the summer, Uh, his counterpart, Sam Jackson, together again at long last. We've had so many reunions already in the summer of Travolta, right? We had Bruce Willis a few episodes ago, even if it was only in... In audio form. <laughs> uh, is that it? Yes, I was going to say, <laughs> we'll have more reunions to come. <laughs> Worry not. Yes. I think it's just, it and, feels you like... Know, Kirstie Alley was Sandra in Greece. <laughs> I, I think Rizzo. it's just, we uh, we reunite with Travolta every episode. I think that's really... It's like a, it's a high school reunion every time we record. Yep. He, he keeps, his age keeps changing <laughs> wildly. But we're here to discuss basic... Uh, 21% on Rotten Tomatoes, not one of Travolta's higher rated films, excuse me, but uh, my heart's still racing, and you know, I feel like I just survived a hurricane. Yes, I just survived a hurricane in the jungle. In the jungles of Panama. uh, Director John McTiernan, he likes his jungles. Uh, I kept thinking Predator. Mm -hmm. Die Hard. Concrete jungle (laughs) and Die Hard and Last Action Hero. You know what? I am not an asshole. Uh. John Travolta and uh, his other black buddy in uh, Battlefield Earth and Phenomenon. Uh, Forrest Whitaker. Yes. Two shots of Travolta just fuck with your head. They do. <laughs> yeah, we, we did have straight. those. And then, has, and then this movie just took us for a while. Kelly Preston only been in one? She's only, been, she's only appeared in Battlefield Earth so far? Y- yes. Okay. Yes. I... She, she will show up again before the summer of Travolta is over. Because, Much like Uma Thurman will show up again. Yes. Uh, well, Kelly Preston is in, spoiler alert, it is like a very recent development. She's in Gotti. So I hear. So She plays John Gotti. <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's get to the matter at hand here. Basic, 21% on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics didn't care too much for this one. What were they saying? Lots of mean things, starting with Nell Minow from Common Sense Media, who says... Are you Nell from the movie Nell? <laughs> she just she just mimed her review. Uh, basically bad and sorry attempt at a thriller. 
Just started with the puns. I was going to say that I doubt that's going to be the last. Uh, Greg Mackey from the Star Democrat and Easton MD. Fake news. Uh, Basic is one of those rare movies without even a single redeeming quality. <laughs> Damn. Uh, Ian Waldron Mangani, a UK critic, says the final parts of this movie are the kind that you'd swear were slapped on by the studio until you realize the whole story must have been built around them. Oz, just Oz, from efilmcritic.com says, <laughs> Pay no attention to the man. <laughs> Pay no attention to the Travolta. Uh, everyone involved just watched their stock price drop 79%. Hey, Tay Diggs is ready to take over the world, motherfucker. Uh, David Sterrett from Christian Science Monitor says, Vanderbilt's screenplay ought to be court-martialed. Uh, Mike McGranahan from Isle Seat says, It really doesn't matter what you think you know about BASIC, because the movie doesn't provide any answers to the most important question. Why? John Beefus from Commercial Appeal, Memphis, Tennessee, says, A more accurate title would be convoluted, incoherent, or dishonest. Took it personally there. He did. And finally, David Nusser from Real Film Reviews says, The interesting thing about Basic is that it contains one of Travolta's best performances since Pulp Fiction, but the film itself isn't anywhere close to this level. That was like a 50-50. A that was like a glass half full type of thing. Yeah, but do you agree? I mean, well, I guess this is more real talk than... than let's table this yes. for real talk. We'll save that. Because, yeah, there was a good decade's worth of film in between the two. So we'll start off here, Contrarian's Corner, of course, the portion of the podcast where we take the tomato meter. We take the tomato meter score. We take either that green splotch or shiny red tomato and flip it over. For this, we have the 21% for basic, meaning it is rotten. So we will make a case for its value and why it's good. We're going to make it fresh. We're going to make it sound fresher than Will Smith, (laughs) regardless of how we really feel about it. All right, so basic uh, is the story of a training exercise in Panama with live ammunition that goes awry. That's putting it mildly. (laughs) Yes. At its core, this is what it's about. And even that, we might not be sure. This is correct. We're immediately introduced. uh, Sam Jackson literally welcomes us to the film just by yelling instructions to his team of uh, uh, military agents that are going out, and there's a fucking hurricane going on. But they're in a chopper. They're in a chopper that's being driven by wings. Shit goes haywire in this uh, training exercise. The beginning shot here were, what do we see here in the beginning? Because I was a bit, it happens so fast, and I'm trying to. Alex, I have the benefit of having seen this movie twice now. You have the privilege. Yes, and the benefit, because, you know, I understand the first time I watched this movie, when it was over, I just, I had to pick myself up and just kind of, like, rebuild my brain. Mm -hmm. Um because this is this might be the most complex movie we've tackled in the show so far. And and it's basically every frame is full of clues and misdirection and even from the beginning when you see a helicopter flying through the storm and you hear Sam Jackson's voice, but yet the first person you see is Giovanni Rubisi. You know you're in for something. <laughs> this this movie is not fucking around. That's that's what you call subtext, <laughs> the meaning behind the meaning. Uh, so what we see is a bunch of soldiers. Mm-hmm. Is that what you call them? Mm-hmm. Marines? They're yeah. not Marines, right? I don't even know if they established that. Rangers. Rangers. 
Travolta used to be a ranger. Army rangers. Army rangers. Okay. Yes. So you see a group of rangers under the leadership of uh, Sam Jackson performing this crazy exercise, jumping into the jungle in the middle of this storm. Mm-hmm. And we don't know why, but we're about to find out why as the movie develops. Yes. Next thing we see is two of the rangers, one carrying the other that's injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see... Was uh, this Dunbar? Brian Van Holt. Van Holt. Yeah. Yes, the guy that I said. Can you look that guy up because he's amazing? I, <laughs> I don't. See, I don't know him from anything else. He's carrying Giovanni Ribisi, who's being injured. They're the ones that make it out. Right. Yeah. Uh, and somebody's shooting at them. Correct, and we don't know who at this. Right, point. but but Van Holt shoots back, kills his attacker, and this is being watched by I guess another helicopter that's been looking for them. So mm-hmm. we can we can imply we can assume that. Uh, and the helicopter that's watching this has Colonel Styles, uh, Tim Daly in it. Tim Daly from Wings. Wings. Yes. We called him Wings from there on. <laughs> I love it. Ranger Mueller is who is killed in self-defense by Brian Van Holt. Uh, Dunbar. Poor, poor man's uh, Michael Rappaport. Kinda. I do, he reminded me of someone. Kind of. And he's playing. This is. I like Michael Rappaport, but he is playing a racist redneck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of like the Michael Rappaport type. <laughs> this is fair. Uh, Dunbar, Brian Van Holt, seen by wings here of killing his uh, fellow rangers, brought in for questioning. Uh, he states he won't talk to anybody on site there. Uh, Captain Julie Osborne, played by Connie Nielsen, is the one that's trying to interrogate him. Uh, basically, what it leads to is Colonel Styles, Tim Daly, has to call in the big guns, and this is where the summer star comes into play. Man, you got to talk about big guns. <laughs> John Travolta playing a character named Tom Hardy. The, the guns don't get much bigger than that. And he is Packing. actually, he might be playing Tom Hardy's Circa Warrior because we open with uh, a shirtless Travolta. And he's chiseled out of granite. Dude, he looked like he walked out of the set of 300. Yes. I've never seen Travolta this ripped. Nope. And he's got the, the towel dipped really low, so he's got the man V going on. And he's swigging Jack Daniels in the shower. We just watched Face Off, which is an actual action movie. Mm-hmm. This is this is a, a thriller, yeah, mystery uh, set in sort of an action, I don't know, atmosphere, but not really. There's no set action in a hurricane. Set. Yeah, exactly. There's guns, but they don't really get shot that much. Yeah, there's not a lot of flying and irreversible comas. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they get shot a lot, but it's always the same kind of because you keep seeing the same flashback over and over, right? Yes, but. So you would think he'd be in better shape for face-off. But he got in shape for this role where he's just basically interrogating people. Yeah. Kudos. Exactly. I and, am impressed. And he's wearing that skin-tight black shirt for the rest of the movie. And Oh, he, boy. He has a neck that rivals Mel Gibson's neck in The Patriot. This is fair. It's got the big, he's got the big traps, the lats. Looks good. We get a recap of everything that happened from Jump 1. It's the story of this team of rangers that is trained by Sergeant West, who's just a miserable prick. Travolta even comments on he hated him, having to work with him. He was tortured by him. You know, he he would have killed him, too, if he had the chance, that type of thing. Uh, we're introduced to our cast of characters, which includes uh, Ranger Pike, played by Tay Diggs, who I think I name-dropped on yesterday's podcast. Didn't, Did just, he? Just because I was talking about 97 Gina Gershon, I was talking about other like perfect humans, and it was early That's 2000s right. Tay Diggs. Right. Yeah. So, um, Giovanni Rabisi, we learn his name is Kendall. Uh, and through this, we just learned that West is Dick, and 
this operation, this uh, training exercise had bad written on it from step one. Yeah. So, so let's let's clear let's clear it up because obviously it's it's very confusing by design when you're watching the movie. But really, let's let's really clear it up about who the players are, right? Because mm-hmm. you have Sam Jackson playing a role that I can't believe he has never played before or after. The which hard is ass the sergeant. hardest drill sergeant, mm-hmm. right? He is just forget about uh, Full Metal Jacket. I mean, this is the real deal. Um, R.I.P. Arlie Army. Yes, I mean Black Arlie Army. I I totally <laughs> I could go with that. Um, then you have Giovanni Ribisi, who we'll come to find out is the gay guy. Yes, basically. Uh, we have Van Holt, uh, Dunbar, right? The guy that's too good not to have been anything else that we know. Bit of a loose cannon. Uh, we have the racist redneck. Mueller. Mueller. Uh, we have two Hispanics. We have a Hispanic woman who n- drops Spanish words in between lines of dialogue. Uh, and then we have a Hispanic man. Just the happenstantial Hispanic aren't rangers pretty much. Pretty much, but but uh, they do mention that he didn't like Ribisi because he was gay. Yes. So I'm up to five. There's oh okay. Then uh, we have Pike, who's Asa Phelps, <laughs> Burnsy, <laughs> Captain Miller, played by Tom Hanks, <laughs> Sergeant <laughs> Horvath. <laughs> <Tom's nice one. laughs> no, I think that that rounds it up, right? Captain uh, James Kirk. <laughs> uh. I believe so. Because when they split, they split in three groups. This movie's two. 99 minutes long, and it's fucking just going 150 miles an hour. So right. excuse us if we missed some things here and there. Just, but I think it's just six rangers and the captain. Yes. And and then it's it's up to Travolta and the audience to figure out what happened. At this point, we're just brought up to the training exercise. Uh, Giovanni Ribisi, the Kendall character, is in the ER. He survived, but he was clearly fucked up, wounded, got shot. He's there, um, you know, Giovanni Ricci went all in on this. It was like a physical and uh, audio, audible transformation, because it doesn't even sound like him. Right. It's. I think that I, I wrote my notice, there's no better Giovanni Ricci than the fucked up Giovanni Ricci. Mm-hmm. He is bleeding and just has all sorts of tubes inserted in him uh, as he's lying on this bed. And he's very pale. Yeah. He's Looks just, like he has jaundice. <laughs> He's rambling on. He can't answer Travolta's questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Travolta he, keeps having to basically bring him back to square one. Yeah, he keeps digressing, and uh, uh, and Connie Nielsen is just watching from the sidelines, waiting to pounce. In the ER, in addition to fucked up Giovanni Ribisi, we're introduced to the, um, I guess the the low key most valuable player of the film because we're here to talk about Travolta, but oh, all these you movies think we watch, so. yes. Dr. Oh, wow. Vilmer, uh, Harry Connick Jr., in all his charming glory, takes the screen. He's got the, the Joey haircut from season three, four Friends, where he has... A... It's, it was a bit too late, yes, but he does. he's still rocking it. The <laughs> Nick, uh, Dr. Nick Tribbiani, what's, the, what's his character's name? Why are we blanking on all our pop culture Joey Tribbiani? No, but like his character that he plays on... Oh, uh, fuck. Nick? No, it's not Nick. I thought it was Nick. Dr. No. Nick... Something. Giovanni Ribisi believes that the uh, a training accident was ordered on his head. 
in his mind retelling the story, he sees uh, Sergeant West, Sam Jackson. Doesn't he do like the finger guns at uh-huh. him? Yeah, right before they jump uh, out of the chopper. So he believes that you know there's a not uh, a metaphorical bounty on his head for something to happen to him during this. So tensions are already hot running into this training exercise. Um, West is found dead, a phosphorus grenade to the back, and like he's literally just like a smoldering crater in the ground. It was a bit intense visceral it was like nicholas cage waking up with his face gone only like his entire body's gone it was also kind of a a, a gut punch to you the audience because let's first be fair. Act, we're still in the first act and sam jackson's gone right and and you came here to watch the the vincent vega jules reunion yeah and and now sam jackson is gone how's that gonna happen so Volta gonna travel back in time and and prevent his murder a craven-esque twist as it were here I mean, Sam Jackson and Drew Barrymore pretty much are interchangeable, so it, it has the same effect here. Pike Tay Diggs eventually confesses to killing West with his phosphorus grenade. Um, this, this is all, by the way, this is all the flashback that we're seeing from Giovanni Ribisi's point of oh, view. Oh, yes. This is story number one. Right. So this is what Giovanni Ribisi is relaying to um, Captain Osborne and Tom Hardy. John Travolta. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, Pike admits to killing him with a phosphorus grenade. This leads to a big disagreement in the the bunker that they're camped out in during this hurricane, all through memory, and a big gunfight ensues, and everyone dies in this fray except for um, Dunbar and Giovanni Ribisi, and that's how they escape. So that's story. That's the version number one that we get. Right, except that the, one of the guys didn't die. The the big racist guy, didn't quite, he, he had gotten shot but not quite killed, and so that's why he's shooting at them mm-hmm. You know, when the other helicopter... Piloted by by wings, uh, but that's them. the entire crux of this. The whole reason Dunbar was brought in because he shot Mueller in self defense, right? Yes, but he but Dunbar won't tell anybody what happened. No, he's still remaining silent. Yes, he he, he will uh, smoke. He'll share his cigarettes with Travolta, and they will they will share stories about how much of a son of a bitch Sam Jackson was. But he won't spill the beans about what happened in, during the exercise. Exactly. They bring this all back to Dunbar. They, being John Travolta and Connie Nielsen, saying, hey, this is what uh, Kendall's telling us. Is this how it went down? And this is where we get story incarnation number two. Right. So at this point, you, as the viewer, realize that you're in for a treat because you thought you were watching one movie, but instead you're watching a collection of short stories all, all revolving around the murder of Sam Jackson. An amalgamation of chaos is what you're in for. You're visiting the multiverse. You're about to revisit Sam Jackson's murder uh, with different uh, different iterations of it, different uh, murderers and different victims. Mm-hmm. But in all of them, most of them, Sam Jackson is always dead. It's like a Christmas carol, only it's three ghosts of Christmas present, but with different presents. Right. Dunbar has a bit of a different tale. He says that Wes became aware that there was drug dealings going on. Uh, two of them were dealing. It was um, racist guy Mueller and the happenstantial Hispanic man Castro. I believe right. his name was because, because of, of course. course. <laughs> so West, understandably so, is angry about this. And Travolta points out, you know, drug dealing in the military—that's a twenty-year sentence at least. So West becomes infuriated by this and confronts the whole crew about what's going on. Uh, Mueller ends up killing him, and then they try to pin it on Porte Diggs. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Tay Diggs shows up after mm-hmm. everything has happened, and he's like, 
he has no idea what's going on. They're all starting to piece together their alibi, like in front of poor Tay Diggs, and he's like, "I don't understand what's <laughs> happening." It's like uh, Magneto in the beginning of the first X Men when he's torn away from his parents. <laughs> so they begin formulating their alibi. Mueller says, "You know, it was Pike that did it," uh, and then they basically just citizens arrest him and tie him up. And I think Tay Diggs, bless his heart, still has no idea what's going on. But in this story, Dunbar tells Mueller killed West because he became aware of these drug dealings that were going on, and they're going to pin it on Pike. Right. You see, uh, and in this story, he didn't get killed by the grenade. Yes. The grenade distracted him, and then Mueller shot him in the back. Yeah. And now this is all. This isn't where we get the. Ah. Oh no 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 no. <laughs> that that's that's the next story. Okay. Uh, but this is. You should have. I mean, obviously, I can't imagine you listening to this episode on basic if you haven't seen basic but if you haven't seen basic appreciate that we are streamlining the story yeah because the movie really makes you work to connect all the dots and i guess travolta his role in the movie is to be uh is the role that we have right now which travolta is like piecing the 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 clues together and telling the audience oh well because of this this makes sense yeah like at some point he says he notices that I think it's Dunbar said something about uh, Sam Jackson being shot. He said, I didn't shoot him. And Travolta's like, well, but he wasn't shot. According mm-hmm. to this other guy, it was a grenade that killed him. Yeah. So what's going on? Let's go. Let's dig in. And he goes back in there. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, detective work that I did not expect from Travolta, <laughs> especially from an- – A lot of sleuthing. Right. I mean, he we we were introduced to him wearing a towel around his waist, showing his pecs. So I expected him to get rough. I thought that he was coming in to beat some people up and, and get the truth that way. But mm-hmm. instead, he's playing a lot of psychological games with Rubisi, with uh, with this other guy, even with Connie Nielsen. Mm-hmm. He's flirting with her, but then he also uses her uh, as a as a pawn in, in the interrogation. It's It's all very... It's very Machiavellian, and I'm not used to that side of Travolta. Once again, he, you know, we're more than halfway through the summer of Travolta, and he keeps surprising us. One thing that remains the same in Dunbar's version of the story as Kendall's is that it ends in a gunfight. Uh, Mueller, unfortunately, kills Tay Diggs by shooting him point blank in the head after an argument about who killed West, seemingly. Uh, and a big gunfight breaks out and ends in a similar fashion of Dunbar carrying... Giovanni Ribisi away from all the chaos. Um, this leads to a conversation back with Dr. Vilmer Harry Connick Jr. about this drug situation because he fingered him as the guy that was helping out with the drug distribution. Right, yeah, yeah. 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 And he confesses with zero, uh, what are you talking about, or zero. Well, not quite. Connie Nielsen, Connie Nielsen, who just gets tired of waiting in the sidelines. She literally throws the book at him. <laughs> It, like uh, Harry Connick Jr. says repeatedly throughout the scene, she breaks his nose. Yes. She hits him in the face with, I guess, a telephone book. or The, a, the good old days. Yeah. Uh, she refuses him the right to a lawyer, which I'm not sure how that really holds up. Well, she really, she just says, I have nothing to lose. I just broke your nose, so I'm in trouble already. Yeah. I just want to get to the truth. There and it is, worked for her because he just confessed to it. Well, he could tell that she, she wasn't fucking around. Yeah. She survived Gladiator. She would definitely. She was a woman to be. She was not to be trifled with. You can survive Joaquin Phoenix. You can survive just about anything. They go back to continue the interrogation on Kendall. It's basically now a fucking Kaiser Soze type of affair where there's all these different stories that they're trying to piece together one long coherent one. 
So they go back and they begin uh, interrogating Kendall further, even though Wings told them deliberately not to. Right, because Giovanni Rubisi is his father is some diplomat or something. Yeah, it's the kind of guy that says, "Do you know who my father is?" Um, but also, his father hates that he's gay, so that's why he exiled him to this, this join military, military outpost. Yeah. Right. Uh, but but yeah, Harry Connick Jr. fingered him as being part of the drug operation, so that's why they go back to him. Yes. He is way more um, speaking in riddles and elusive of answering questions he, than He's going to full Brando in Apocalypse Now. Yes. Nonsense. Just, but, but so profound also yes, and very, so well acted. Very content and proud in what he's saying, even though it's not making much sense. And then he starts just bleeding from the air and starts violently projectile vomiting blood everywhere. And before we know it, he's dead. That was such Gone a, too soon. It's such a... You know, I was I was writing down Embry nomination, and then I look up and he's dying already, and in a, the most gruesome manner. That was uh, that was impressive. It, it is still the John Travolta show, but really credit where credits due. This is John McTiernan. Yeah, just pulling the strings from square one. You're having Embry take the place of uh, Rubisi once again. I mean, or he was living up to the name of Embry, <laughs> but then he tripped over that parking meter and broke his arm. It would only seem fair. <laughs> oh. No, wait, he was the drummer. Never mind. I thought he was replaced by Ethan Embry in the band, but oh, you're right, and you have me agreeing with you. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Now, in death, Giovanni Ribisi helped lead to the discovery of something else here. He uh, and with his blood, his dying uh, act, is he does an insignia on Connie Nielsen's hand of uh, what believes is the infinity sign, but of course, when she turns it upright, it's eight. You may be asking what the significance of that is. Um, Dunbar, correct? When he asked to speak with the right. officer, uh, had an eight written down on a piece of paper. Yeah, and so if you turn it sideways, yeah, it looks like he's just an Infinity War fan. <laughs> and Connie Nielsen actually dismisses it as that at first. She says, that kid's so weird. <laughs> But then she gives Travolta the reveal where she just puts up her hand, turns it. And Travolta goes, okay. And then it leads to the next scene. What this all is, part of the exposition we got earlier from Wings that was never really explained. Right. We saw him pull Travolta aside. Mm -hmm. Travolta said, asked him when he first arrived to the base, he asked him, is there something extra special here? Is there something I should be aware of? And then he pulled him aside, Wings pulled him aside, and we just got a shot of Connie Nielsen watching from afar, feeling left out, like so many women do. Yes. Uh, and then, and now, we're finally going to get that cutscene where we see what he told him. Which is essentially, these guys are part of like a very special task force, Section 8. And, and he leaves it at that. Yes. I mean, he, he adds a few more mysterious words, but it's just... I, I'm on the edge of my seat right now. Like, Section 8? What is that? Is that yeah. like Area 51? It's like a secret government operation. We don't know. Connie Nielsen doesn't know. Travolta kind of knew, but he didn't feel it was important to share with her. <laughs> well, she when she she tells him, why don't you tell me this? He just says, classified. Yeah. He's not even a ranger anymore. No. He's just basically a bystander off the street. Right. The movie constantly points out that he's a civilian, but he's so cool, so badass, that they let him act like he's a... Just he's smoking wherever he wants. <laughs> yeah. So then we get this like weird fuck fight where they start 
she like throws him on the ground and then she goes to kick him and he like grabs her leg and holds her like ballerina position style and then and then they almost kiss but yeah. then she pulls a gun on him showing him that she's not that kind of girl natural born killers esque. she does not kiss on the first fight she does not uh it and then that's me, over well it reminded me of uh um uh, you know the ben affleck daredevil when he Oof. when he meets cute with uh with electra mm-hmm. and they have that sort of mrs daredevil yeah that ballet fight on the playground the difference here is that travolta's in better shape than affleck and we love Jennifer Garner, but Connie Nielsen is playing for keeps here. Yes. The only thing I could think of that executed this better was the wedding scene in the third Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. Where Keira Knightley and Orlando Bloom are being wed during the chaos on the boat. Except that that scene and that movie goes on for too long. Yes. This movie, like, clips it off at, what, a little over an hour and a half. Yeah. So they don't need to bloat the scene. You get, I mean, the sexual tension between Travolta and Nielsen from the very beginning I mean, between Travolta and the audience when we saw him half naked, and then Travolta and Nielsen from the moment that he arrived, that he was just he was doing that thing where he's flirting. But and Travolta and uh, Rabisi were getting a bit handsy, also. I mean, there's sexual tension just riddled all over this. From the moment that Rabisi reveals that his dad didn't like the fact that he he was into men, and Travolta was like, "Excuse me." Uh, and the bass riff from Greece, bam, 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 bam. <laughs> he turns around, raises one eyebrow. I got chills. <laughs> they are multiplying. <laughs> Prosecution's moving forward. We do have Harry Connick Jr. in his waiting cell, his holding cell, as it were. Uh, being that they aren't able to prove anything quite yet with Dunbar, they, Harry Connick Jr. basically says, I guess I'm going to be loaded on that uh, ship with Pike. We're going to send him off to be you know, court-martialed, prosecuted, whatever. And Travolta, you know, much like me, a viewer, is like, why did he call him Pike? And this is like um, you pointed out or you referenced, you thought of it when I was unable to, uh, another classic that we watched in uh, Righteous Kill is this movie just completely, it's like an hourglass that turns upside down. Right. It's like the end of Castlevania when you get to it and the whole map turns upside down. And Harry Connick Jr. gets the line of the movie where he says, Ray Dunbar's black. Bum, bum, bum. Cut that close-up of Travolta, close-up of Nielsen, close-up of Harry Connick Jr., Flashback close-up of uh, uh, our boy Van Holt, mm-hmm. who is not Dunbar. It's obviously He's Pike. Pike. Yeah. And then flashback close-up of uh, the sexiest young black man alive. Tay Diggs. Tay Diggs, mm-hmm. who obviously was not the person that Sam Jackson had been picking on no. the entire time. Uh, it, yeah, it's very uh, six cents esque in that they replay a lot of it and it's like oh shit slash usual suspects yep uh this is is this the usual suspects moment i mean this movie is made up of usual suspects moments but uh this is the big one there's well there's a bigger one have like a couple twists to come but this is the one that in a normal movie uh, an average movie the reason i compare it to the usual suspects is because it rewrites some of the previous scenes but putting different actors in their place very 12 monkeys-esque yeah yeah there's uh which I like. That's I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that that's McTiernan just basically keeping up with the audience. Yeah. There comes a point where you just need to uh, uh, engage in further tricks of filmmaking, such as you know not quite recasting the actual actors, but at least recasting the parts that they play. Yes. <laughs> so good for him. It it worked. There's only uh, the only way to out Shyamalan Shyamalan 
is is to is to just go further than he ever would, which he is accomplished here. And so what McTiernan has happened from here is Hardy goes and makes sure that plane doesn't take off. Uh, I would say kidnaps Pike, but he gets him to admit to it by almost like throwing him into the propeller of a plane. Right. Which is pretty fucking cool. This is, I'm telling what you. What Travolta this does, too, he grabs him and then Travolta throws his own gun in the propeller to show what's going to happen to him. It's really badass. But this is, he does all this while there's a, a whole group of of army rangers mm-hmm. with their guns trained on him. Yeah. He just took this prisoner from him and he does not get shot. Nope. In fact, Wings comes in halfway through this and he tells them to put their guns down. Let's see how this plays out. So, it's okay. It's John Travolta. He knows what he's doing. So now we learn it's a big old cocaine operation that's going on out of Panama. They're shipping in, shipping out cocaine. West wasn't going to be okay with it. Um, so they have to kill him. I'm trying to remember how this goes down. So in this one, in this version of the story... Version w- 3. Right. They are all in the bunker. Yes. But they haven't killed West. Correct. West walks in on them, and and he he does his, what he knows we wanted from he just the beginning. It's like 1,000% Sam Jackson. Yeah. It's like, what yeah. do we have here? <laughs> it's, it's just full-on jewels from Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. Pulls his gun and says, you know, there's a good chance I'm not leaving here, but there's also a good chance only two of you are leaving. And they uh, say what again, motherfucker? <laughs> so we get a shootout here where we lose a few of the crew. Uh, in the end, what happens is Pike is killed, and Dunbar takes his dog tags and replaces them. No, no, no. Dunbar is killed. Dunbar's killed. Because Pike is... is- Yes. Our guy. Yes, I'm right sorry. Now. Because yeah. uh, Ray Dunbar is black. So Dunbar is killed. Pike switches their dog tags. And then Pike gets in a face-off with uh, Sergeant West. And before, before this moment, I just want to point out that through this entire sequence, Sam Jackson is fucking Batman. He's Spider-Man. He's like scaling He's the wall. Yeah. Right. Because at first, you know, he's holding somebody hostage and he has five guns pointed at him. Mm-hmm. And then he just disappears. He disappears. There's like a flash of lightning, and then he's gone. And then he scales to the roof of the bunker. Right. He's waiting for them perched among uh, the other gargoyles in that in that uh, shed. And then he shoots the Hispanic woman mm-hmm. like ten times. And then the, just a hail of gunfire takes out some of the other casualties. Right. Uh, and then Pike has a face-off with... Uh, Sergeant West, and they get into a dis- basically a big disagreement, and then I believe it's Mueller from stage left shoots right. Sam Jackson, and Sam Jackson sells it awesome by going, ah! It's an epic death, and it's a death cry that you've never heard from Sam Jackson before. No. I like that he he decided that for this one, because Sam Jackson has died on screen so many times. Mm-hmm. Before he was Pulp Fiction Sam Jackson, it's like he got killed on every movie he was in, right? Yeah. And, and even after, I want to say, he's died a few times Deep since Lucy. then. Yeah. Uh, but this is the one where he just let his pride take a walk. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm just going to die like a regular guy would. <laughs> if, if a regular guy, not Sam Jackson, got shot in the way that he got shot here, he would just, he would just cry like yeah, that. It would suck. Uh, so he's out of the equation. I believe then Pike shoots Mueller, takes him out. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, then, and then he goes back for, for Giovanni Rubisi, I guess. Yeah. We don't see that, but we know that happened. So, 
And then he escapes. They ask where the bodies are. He said the hurricane nearly washed me away, but they're out there somewhere. Uh, cut two wings. He was in on it the whole time. And he basically tries to cut Travolta in on the deal, uh, saying he'll give him a third of the cocaine operation. Basically, his plan was he knew what was going on. He just needed to get West out of the way to continue it. No, he, yeah, I mean, he's been, he's been the mastermind behind everything. Mm-hmm. And then West came to him. Once West, when Sam Jackson found out what was going on, he didn't know that Wings was behind it. So he just went to Wings and told him, hey, this is going on. And then Wings ordered a hit on him. Yeah. Uh, Which was carried out by Mueller. Right. And and all this is, it's just basically Tim Daly getting to play a Bond villain. Yeah. He's explaining his plan to Travolta. And then he poisoned Giovanni Ribisi. Right. He poisoned Giovanni, which is how he gives himself away. Yeah. Travolta, like... He throws a soft accusation at him, and then Tim Daly trying to clear himself up. He's like, "What? And you think I poisoned Ribisi?" And Travolta goes, "How do you know he was poisoned?" Yeah. And Tim Daly has the excellent response: "Well, he was vomiting blood, so <laughs> there really were many options." Yeah, which is fair. Either that, or he ate fucking KFC original recipe. So Tim Daly pulls a gun on John Travolta. Fortunately, uh, Captain Osborne's just around the corner. She's able to shoot and kill Wings. He's it, out of there. It's a very subtle arc that uh, Connie Nielsen has in this movie, but I love it. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, 99% of this movie is just buff men arguing with each other, shooting at each other. Just uh, Even the, the one woman in the Ranger group, she's also really loud and obnoxious yeah. and whatever. Connie Nielsen is a consummate professional, and this movie slowly drives her nuts. And you can see proof of it when she hits that guy, when she hits Harry Connick Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the phone book. And then later on, when she has the dance-off with Travolta. Judo tosses him. And now here, where she could have intervened before it, it got this bad. Yeah. But she waited until it was justified for her to kill Tim Daly. Coming full circle. She, she's not a girl, not yet a woman. In fact, that song starts playing after she shoots <laughs> uh, Travolta woos her. You feel like this is the end here? That everything's Gives her t- uh, his phone number. Yep. Everything's tied up in a neat little package. Says he'll pick her up at 7 on Tuesday for a date. Uh, he says something. It's all in the details or something like that. No, he says, uh, you got to tell the story right yeah. or something, right? And that triggers her memory. And she believes that now Travolta was in on all of it. Yes. So she stalks him. She sees him picking up Pike. And so she follows their car uh, and follows them down, not Bourbon Street, but similar, whatever the Panamanian equivalent is. She's an armed officer of the law walking down the street. And all these, like, fucking people dressed in drag and shit and, like, makeup and uh, ghost set costumes just keep jumping at her. She's lucky. They're lucky, I should say, that it's not 2018 America. And otherwise, there'd be some casualties out there. I'm sure she'd be fine, though. Yeah. There'd be a lot of thoughts and prayers. Uh, Uh, So so this is the final, well, not quite final, but this is really, to me, what felt like the big Kaiser Soze moment. Uh, Because she has to recontextualize everything that she's seen and we've seen. She's so this is the fourth version of the story because she's putting together her what she believes happened. Right. And, And in this version, we finally get the. The Vincent Vega Jules from Pulp Fiction reunion that we wanted, mm-hmm. even though it's like a second, like blink it and you miss it. 
Travolta steps out from behind a tree and then stabs Samuel L. Jackson. Yes. Uh, and you're like, wow, you know, that could have happened if the wolf hadn't arrived so quickly. <laughs> If it taken him more than ten minutes to get there, yeah, because uh, they were ready to go at got it when they were cleaning brains, uh, when they were cleaning their thing. So, yeah, I, it was it was satisfying in an That's odd way. That's how the conversation in the car could have ended, right? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a race car, Jules, <laughs> and I got a big knife. <laughs> you buried the lead though, because this is where we get Travolta dancing in the movie. Oh, I'm sorry. Albeit a five second <laughs> shot of him, and he's. He can't even be bothered. Allah, look who's talking. He's just kind of, well, he's <laughs> sweating to the the oldies. Yeah, he's not. It's not like it's not the kind of dancing you're used to from Travolta. No, it's just kind of sloppy, drunk Latino dancing, mm -hmm. which is he's not quite it's salsa. Like really but... lazy salsa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not quite salsa. Jay Pritchett salsa. She follows them to this club they walk into that has an eight ball hanging above it. So we go back to the section eight, the number eight, the uh, ubiquitous number eight in this film, as it were. She follows them down to the basement of this fucking restaurant or something. They're all there. Everyone from the crew, Tay Diggs, everyone. Everyone you thought was dead. Exactly. Is there. It's, it's almost like she just found a door to heaven. <laughs> of good actor heaven. Uh, and they're all in on it. They did it to get wings, uh, Kendall and Mueller, and Travolta's been in on it the whole time, the Coke operation. Um, just They're an elite squad. Right, Sam Jackson is there. I was about to say there's seven until the eighth steps out from the shadows. And it's like heaven because he's wearing all white, too. And yeah. His facial hair is perfectly coiffed. He has a mustache that he didn't have in the flashbacks. No. Proving once again that nothing is reliable uh, when it comes to the testimonies that they gave. And this comes full circle because in Pulp Fiction they're eating breakfast and here they're eating dinner. Yeah, so they uh, pull up a chair and we'll sit with Vincent and Jules. Slightly regrettable that the people cooking were the Hispanics. Mm -hmm. Did you notice that it was just like because Travolta? They are not all there at once. At first yeah. it's just Travolta and I guess Pike, and uh, and Connie Nielsen shows up and points a gun at Travolta and she's like, "Who are those people over there?" And oh, they're just my colleagues that are preparing dinner. And then they step out, and they're like Castro and like the other mm -hmm. girl. Yeah. And they uh, offer her a job in their Super 8 squad force. And we find out that Travolta is their colonel. And then he winks. At the camera. Not even at her. And the movie's over. <laughs> and then uh, directed by John McTiernan. That, there's a wipe, and McTiernan shows up. It's like, gotcha. <laughs> I did not direct this. <laughs> M. Night, come over. <laughs> uh, it is exhausting in a good way. In the way that, that like, an all-nighter of sex is exhausting. Where you're like, I don't know that I could do that again anytime soon. But you're, fence, uh, you're, but you're physically and mentally satisfied at the end of it. Right. You're like, that was, that was a good workout. <laughs> and I will tell people about this. Uh, that's... I can imagine it was this much fun for us, how much more fun it must have been for them reading the script, not even knowing, you, you know, because I here, I have some faces to put to the mm -hmm. to the names. I know that to me, it's a lot easier. I don't have to think they're trying to figure out who killed West. I have to think who killed Sam Jackson. Mm -hmm. That makes the plot a lot simpler. <laughs> When I can, I can create these little shortcuts where I'm thinking, oh yeah, 
the the racist guy and Giovanni Rubisi and Wings. But if you read the script and it's just like these names, you have no attachment to them. No. Uh, so kudos to them for for making sense of it for putting and, a face to it. Yeah. Giving it an identity. Yeah, it was. That was good. Like I told you, Alex, I'm surprised you didn't just go light a cigarette because <laughs> this movie definitely fucked with you. Uh, it definitely fucked me, that's for sure. <laughs> it fucked your brain. Uh, yeah, I'm done. I can't say <laughs> anything else positive about this movie. All right. We'll do, we'll do real talk. Yes, let's move this along. Did it ever wear on your conscience or did you just, or did you just not think about it? <laughs> capable of murder you know here's the type of guy that you felt uncomfortable going to sleep around why did you pin three murders on dunbar the man saved your life oh so i should i should cover up for his misdeeds huh what i was just telling you the truth i really was I... not according to pete vilmer 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 is that what you think you have on me? <laughs> it's his drug-peddling word against mine. Come on, you have to do better than that. You guys are on drugs. And we are recording for Real Talk. Fuck this movie. Fuck everyone involved. Fuck anyone who likes this movie and anything like this movie. <laughs> hey, I told you, I knew a cop that loved this movie. Dude, this movie fucking makes reindeer games look like North by Northwest. Like, <laughs> I'm telling you... The whole time I was watching it, this is a movie for, like, it's understandable. The audience it went after is probably middle-aged, early 40s to middle-aged people because it's a movie that makes itself seem really, like, complex, but it's, like, not at all. It's just fucking stupid. (sighs) Basic was released on April 3rd, 2003, uh, directed by John McTiernan, who also made fucking awesome movies like Predator and Die Hard, Die Hard and Last Action Hero. Uh, uh, fuck off. I have the Burger King collector's cup that when you like move it, it changes the image of Arnold doing shit. It, like, it like goes from him making a bad movie to him making a good movie. <laughs> uh, budget of $50 million. Didn't recoup it. A little over $40 million. Uh, 21% on Rotten Tomatoes. I would rather watch Battlefield Earth again than this. <laughs> this is shorter. I don't care. I, <laughs> this was very fucking bad. Okay. Uh, let's, let's. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Someone liked it. So. Yeah. A few people. More than a few people liked it. Uh, Stacy Lane Wilson from Fantastica Daily says, as the story unravels, revealing twist upon twist, you learn that there's nothing basic about basic. Oh. <laughs> Uh, Kamal the Diva Larsul from <laughs> <laughs> from Three Black Chicks Review says oh, Brandon Curtis's website. Uh, he, she says there is nothing basic about this multi-layered story that has more twists and turns than a Coney Island roller coaster. That's not necessarily a good thing. No, there too many twists 
is a real thing. It, I know we joke about M. Night Shyamalan a lot, but like his whole career, his success is based off one twist. Right. Usually one is all you need. You just need to pull it off correctly. That's right. Well, Tom Siebert from Orlando Weekly says, a crackling good popcorn movie with perhaps one too many twists and a pretzel of a plot. One. He was hungry. <laughs> two food analogies. <laughs> then Peter Howell from the Toronto Star. Travolta is a vital presence that constantly holds our attention, even when the script is threatening to lose it. I mean, I thought Travolta was good. We'll get into it. Speaking of Travolta, Vic Vogler from Denver Post. John Travolta is having fun. A lot of it. And that may be all the reason you need to wedge basic into your post-Oscars film schedule. Huh. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, Jeffrey M. Anderson from Combustible Celluloid says Travolta gets good mileage out of playing a swaggering hero with degenerate bravado tendencies. Can any other major movie star get away with such low behavior? I didn't think he was particularly reprehensible in this one. No. I mean, he kind of, the way he flirts with, with uh, Connie Nielsen, it's kind of weird, but... Prairie Miller from Long Island Press says, Best described as a military noir, Basic reunites John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson in a kind of pulp fiction with rain and fatigues, plus a chaser of Rashomon on the side. I do love, though, how, like, I think everything we've done, there's been, in one of the positive reviews, at least one comparison to pulp fiction. <laughs> yep. Like, everything that's been made after it. Uh, and then, finally, Dan Marcucci and Nancy Sarugi from Broomfield Enterprise say, Travolta was finally cool again. What? Finally. <laughs> this was the one that did the trick. So, I mean, it is the summer of Travolta. Yes. So let's, let's tackle the Travolta factor first, just okay. because there was that, that quote from a reviewer in, in Contrarian's Corner that said that this was his best performance since Pulp Fiction. What have we done that was released since Pulp Fiction? I mean, this no, is... No, Face Off. He's better in Face Off. Right. I yeah. agree. But I don't think this is a bad performance. I think he's he might be the best thing in the movie. He could be great. I just don't give a shit. Like, it, it's just <laughs> lost in the shuffle. It's one of those things that I was done with the movie, like, fairly quickly into it. Um, And as you can see, my notes greatly dwindle when they bring the whole cocaine thing into it. And I think you saw me throw my hands up, just like, what the fuck? So, uh, yes, I had never seen this before. I never even heard of it until you mapped out the Summer of Travolta. Uh, understandably so now. I mean, Sam Jackson, yeah, it's whatever. He, especially around this time, he was doing everything that came his way. Working actor, good. He's a millionaire, more money than I'll ever have. But he also made things like Freedom Land around this point in time. So, Would you say Freedom Land is worse than Basic? Probably. Really? Yeah. Dude, this movie is really bad. Basic is doesn't – it barely makes sense. It – Basically, <laughs> I was disappointed I didn't find more reviews that played off basic, but I, I can't even tell you. I don't remember anything Travolta did. Um, he, to me, he he's gave just me... a good actor. So right. he can, like, his autopilot is still better than, like, 90% of people's I, 100%. I got a very strong uh, Tom Cruise and A Few Good Men vibe, and partly also because you had Connie Nielsen playing the Demi Moore character mm -hmm. from A Few Good Men. So mm -hmm. he's a. He's the, the suave, smooth, just fast-talking lawyer, except he's not a lawyer here. But basically, he's interrogating them as if he was a lawyer. And uh, and Connie Nielsen is the by-the-book woman yeah. trying to keep him, like, rein him in. And 
that dynamic kind of worked. I wish it was in a much better story, but him, I mean, he was having fun. He shows up and he's just fucking around with everybody and, and pointing out little things. And, and he definitely I, was more into this than look who's talking. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He, he definitely Two. seemed, uh, <laughs> he seemed like, uh, like an interesting character that I would like to follow. Mm-hmm. Just not in this movie, but he was, he was good. I I thought that uh, I guess we'll get to ranking his performances, but I, he definitely comes across as somebody that's different from Sean Archer, different from Turl, mm-hmm. different from Danny Zuko, different from the dude from Phenomena. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and this is even <laughs> Robert Duvall's adopted son. Even the most impressive, considering that he's actually playing a real person here. Yeah, uh, it's his very own take in Tom Hardy on Tom Hardy. In, in, <laughs> it's a biopic. It's a biopic. Um, now, I mean, real props to him though for his physique. You and me were both like genuinely like, "Holy shit!" Do you think they CGI that? There's no way that they had the budget to just. No, I mean it's the one scene where he doesn't have a shirt on. I think he probably just worked for six months, and then like after that was just hoagies and cigarettes. See, there's a there's hope. <laughs> if Travolta can go from what he looks like in Face Off to what he looks like in this movie. Yeah, but he sold his soul to the Scientology Church. So. That is true. I'm trying to think of anything else that's good about it. even Giovanni Ribisi, who typically I love. He's doing like this really weird fucking Buffalo Bob voice, and yeah, Ribisi is weird. He he's really I don't know what he was going for. No, I mean Tay Diggs is fine. I'll give him credit. I mean, even okay, even with Rubisi, I don't think the acting is the problem in this movie. Good to okay. Uh, the problem is that the story just—it's not even that it doesn't make sense. It's just that it's so hard to follow mm-hmm. for for no real reason, just for a for a gotcha at the end, for several gotchas consecutive. Yeah, it's, and that's the thing when you stop and think about it. It is convoluted. But then, like, when we were talking about getting lost in the first portion of this... Oh, by the way, this is real talk where we talk about how we really feel about the movie. We didn't introduce it coming oh, into it. that's true. I mean, it is called real talk. And, yeah. But, yeah. But, like, when we were in the first part where we were trying to, like, go through the plot, it is convoluted, but only for the sake of convolution. Like, there's no fucking... It doesn't help it. doesn't make it better. Now, that that's a really interesting premise, the whole idea of someone retelling... A story from several different angles. I mean, I'm a sucker for Vantage Point. Yeah. One of my favorite, if not the favorite, episode of King of the Hill that ever aired was called A Firefighting We Will Go. It's from season three. Uh, Hank, Dale, Boomhauer, Bill become volunteer firemen. Firehouse burns down. The whole episode is the four of them telling their version of the story. And it's like little things are different and things like that. That's a really interesting thing, and they you is, know, is Sam Jackson alive at the end? Yes, okay. he started the fire. <laughs> so, I've seen this trope work. Well, yeah, I mean, in they, a twenty-two minute television episode before, they they mention Rashomon, which I actually I haven't seen Rashomon, but I I am familiar with it. Do you really like Vantage Point? Uh, no, I okay. mean, I I like the the gimmick, mm-hmm. I should say. And Vantage Point is the first thing I could think of. Yeah, like, you know, where you you keep seeing different points of view. Um. I remember. I just remember the poster. It's like all the supporting cast surrounding a very confused Forrest Whitaker. Uh, the the thing is with Rashomon, as I understand it, and then with other movies that have to deal with this, is that you can do it for two different reasons. You can do it because you want to explore how the 
perception of truth can vary from person to person, right? So it's not that these people, these different people telling you different stories are deliberately lying to you, but rather that, well, it's crazy how their life experiences make them perceive something mm -hmm. that happened in a very different way than somebody else. Yeah. Or you can use this device just to confuse people, to misdirect, uh, you know, and here Which is, is what they did. Right. And they do it over and over again. Yeah. I'm cool with that, with a reveal that shows that, oh, this character was lying. Or even if you start with two completely different stories from two different people and, well, one of them must be true. Mm -hmm. But then when you start just basically contradicting things every 10 minutes, just for the sake of keeping the audience guessing, I don't know, I think that you run out of uh, of goodwill pretty quickly, at least yeah. with me. I just don't have the patience for that kind of stuff. I just want you to tell me where we stand so I can enjoy the movie. And if if all you can do to keep me interested in the movie is to keep telling me, just kidding, that's not what happened, this happened, yeah. maybe, <laughs> then I don't know. I, I, I think it, that gets boring pretty quickly, which is what happens here. Travolta gets to the base. He starts interrogating people. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I can I dig his methods. I think he's having a, a fun rapport with Connie Nielsen. Uh, but then, like you said, around the time that they start bringing the extra conspiracies, and it's no longer about who killed Sam Jackson, but also about like the drugs that were flowing out of the hospital and then the the Magnificent Eight that are hiding somewhere in the jungle mm -hmm. and the, the cocaine trade and all this stuff. Then it's just... It's not layered. It's just diversions, constant diversions. Right. And like um, redirections, misdirections. There's a lot of talent in this movie, that's for sure. Uh, I could see where people would want to work with John McTiernan. Yeah, I could see where they would think this would be fine at the box office. Milk toast. And... It's, oh, it's superficial. That's the other thing I felt. It's just so shallow because I there, think that that's what I was looking for. Even at and even just the point of like it's thunderstorming the entire movie. It's just like fuck off. Uh, oh yeah, I'll, I'll come back to that because I had issues with McTiernan's direction, but I think that it's shallow just in the sense that I think every movie we've done in the summer of Travolta had something to say about something, something. right? And this movie doesn't say anything other than haha gotcha yeah. <laughs> drugs are bad <laughs> no because they only make no. a lot of money off uh, of them some some men must sacrifice everything in the pursuit of the if truth. you're gay you're gonna get poisoned by the guy from wings <laughs> that's what this movie says yeah it's it's i don't know it, it, yeah shallow it's that nails it there, and then I just hate the the way that it was shot. The the, the, the all the flashbacks with the rain and the mm -hmm. thunder, and I just want to be able to see what the fuck's going on. No shit, it's, it's dark and like constant cuts and like everything's blurry. And, and you don't have an all star cast where oh I just need to hear their voices and I know who's who. I I saw two white dudes, mm -hmm. uh, Ty Diggs, Tay Diggs, <laughs> Tay Diggs. And and then two Hispanic people who at least, you know, if they were not speaking, it was hard to tell them, you know, to tell them from the other guys. Yeah. You know, even though one of them was a woman. <laughs> and then Giovanni Ribisi doing his best to fit in and not stick out with his fucking weird voice that he's doing. I don't know what he was going for. But... Yeah. And then promotionally, do you think that the, do you feel like it was a bait and switch that you say this movie stars yes. Sam Jackson and John Travolta? And everybody sits back and gets ready to enjoy what they did. But not a good fiction. bait and switch. It's just right. like they're on screen together for two minutes, three minutes tops. 
and like their only interaction interpersonally is like this theoretical killing that didn't actually happen. Well, and then gotcha. They, and then they they bust each other's balls mm-hmm. for thirty seconds at the very end. Yeah, it, I don't know. I I started reading the trivia on IMDb, but it, there wasn't really anything that stuck out to me. But I don't know if it was always intended to be this way or if like scheduling conflicts. But yeah, it's a massive fucking disservice to your audience and not to say that it's never been done in movies before you know what i mean but uh originally it was gonna be dennis uh, hopper got top billing in texas chainsaw 2 and he's in that movie for fucking seven minutes uh, the original cast was sylvester stallone and arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> that should just be our story for every travolta movie moving forward i thought i was gonna have like more to say about it but like it's just it's just anger yeah it, fuck it sucks but, okay, so I'm glad we didn't have to rent it from Amazon or anything like that. <laughs> what was it when being HBO via Spectrum? <laughs> yeah, it was on demand for free. So that that I'll, I'll they, take they, that L. They, they know what they have. Yeah, they're not gonna make you pay for that. Um, so I mean, one good thing, mm-hmm. what Travolta's performance? Yeah, I guess that, now that I'm thinking about it more, Travolta was good. It's just I was so checked out of the movie that I, I thought Harry Connick Jr. was fine. You that hair, dude. That was, that was kind of weird. Uh, is it Ray Ramori? Oh, that's Ray Romano. Uh, Drake Ramori? Yeah, something like that. Okay, there you go. But yeah, he's got that hairdo. and I always remember, and I think we were in Chicago. My family and I were on vacation in like 2003, 2004. And we ordered a pizza to the hotel room. And the box was Joey. It was like advertising. Because you remember he got his own spinoff? Yes. Yeah. Oh, so the box had the Joey spinoff on it? Yeah, like, like it the, was the like picture? a big advertise. The box was like advertising material for it. I thought I, you said the box was like packed with care by Joey. Oh, no, 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 no. It was the box was like an advertising material for the spinoff show Joey, and I don't know why I always think of that when I think of Matt LeBlanc because I can just remember young Alex just looking down at a very smiling, gleaming, cardboard faded. <laughs> this is gonna be a good pizza. Yeah. Get the fuck out of the way, Matt LeBlanc. I want to eat pizza. Uh, yeah, Travolta. I mean, Sam Jackson as drill sergeant makes just perfect sense. Kind of uh, wasted. Yeah, you know, like the, there's a, plenty of opportunity there. Connie Nielsen is fine. Yeah, she actually probably, to me, other than Travolta, the MVP in this movie, only because she, I guess, I don't have the resentment towards her character that I do towards everybody else because everybody else was in on it except for her <laughs> tim daly man i couldn't imagine being an actor and <laughs> reading this script just that whole thing of like okay we want you to be this really straight laced no nonsense by the books and he's like okay and i can do that i, and I know then in the last this. scene you have to act like a maniacal bad guy <laughs> including and then you're gonna pull a gun out and then it's gonna go three zoom ins on the gun but they keep cutting in that final scene. They keep cutting to close up of his mouth. Yeah, he, him and Travolta keep laughing. And it's... yeah, the like, there's no flow to the cinematography or like presentation at all. And like, the worst part of that is every flashback is directed differently and like looks, <laughs> and not in a way of like, oh, this is what that person sees. It's just like the cameras are in different positions. It's like this was the second unit. This was the third unit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the walkie talkies had broken down so they can like communicate. Uh, and one of them, they had to have the actor who played Castro just, you know, <laughs> take the helm. So in this version, you're going to get killed right away. So you can direct the rest of the scene. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the worst we've watched so far in the summer of Travolta. Dude, this is, I mean, that's, 
it's a pretty heavy statement. I I think that you need to let it marinate. In Battlefield Earth is longer. I'll give you that. This was just it made me mad though. This is more disappointing. I, I guess you... to be fair, to me, a movie that's so bad that I laugh at it or just kind of like like left gobsmacked at its terribleness. I'll take that any day of the week over a movie that makes me mad. Right, but what I mean is... The you, reason I've never rewatched Rob Zombie's second Halloween. You didn't know what to expect with this one. So maybe on a rewatch, you just laugh at how little sense it makes or at the choices that they make to obscure what's really going on. I guess it's the thing. I can't even tell you why I care so much. I just fucking hated that movie, man. Like, my blood's still boiling. It's been <laughs> off the air for an hour now. You just feel betrayed by your boy. Travolta has been delivering consistent entertainment for two months now. and That's true. I guess I'm just anything less than perfection I can't roll with anymore. What? Look who's talking was lower than this uh, in terms of the Rotten Tomatoes score. Yeah, of course, Battlefield Earth. And what is the other rotten one we've done? Phenomenon. Well, that's like the mid. That was the middle one. Yeah, Phenomenon is better than this. <laughs> if for nothing else, the <laughs> Eric Clapton song. Is it worse it is not worse than Christmas with the Cranks. <laughs> Gladly fire up Basic in lieu of Christmas with the Cranks. But Christmas with the Cranks plays in fair. Place of, I should say. It plays fair. It it doesn't try to fuck with you, Christmas with the Cranks. Oh, no. Christmas with the Cranks <laughs> does not play fair. It does fuck with you. Like, why can't they just tell their daughter they're not celebrating Christmas? Why is Jamie Lee Curtis reduced to this? Okay, so a final exercise before we're done with this movie. <laughs> was there an easier way of telling this story, a more satisfying way of telling this story, like doing just this? Uh... You'd have to take your time. You would yeah. have to, it would have to be a longer movie. Um, you would have to come up with different motives outside of just, oh, it was drug smuggling. It's the bat, like shit like that. It's just like, I- I'm sure at its core, and you'd say this about almost any really bad movie. Um, they meant well. Yeah. And the execution's what fucked it up. I think at its core, there's a good movie here. I or wonder, a, good, a, a germ of an idea, I should say. Well, I wonder if there was like that heart that I feel it's missing. I mm-hmm. wonder if that was there in its inception. And mm-hmm. then it got lost as they got more focused on the on the misdirection and the deception of it all. Uh, you know what movie uh, kind of tinkers with story and past and present that is much better than this is the A-Team. I'm not that. I'm not just saying <laughs> that to plug you're, it. You're, but you're dead serious as you say this. Yes, because that movie does a perfect job of intermingling like what possibly could happen, what did happen, this person's, this person's version of the story. You know, all the different outlets. The 18 movie that we watched? Yeah. When? Like, all through it. When they're, like, devising their plans, and then when they're thinking, like, learning about what things that happened in the past, shit like that. Oh, yeah, I guess there's mm-hmm. a little bit of that. Yeah. It's just... So, obviously, that's not the entire crux of that movie. There's just points in the movie that execute that really well. With this, I don't know. I mean, with this crew, I just felt like this was fucked from day one type of thing. I don't know. I don't know what Can to tell you. Can you imagine like McTiernan and everybody else just reading the script and going like, oh my God, we're going to get them so good. <laughs> and then again, and again, and again, <laughs> and again, and again. 
fucking Bewitched is in the same area of rottenness as this movie. And that movie is fucking great. Yep. Not gonna not gonna argue with you there. Yeah, so this shit a low point in the summer of Travolta. Very low. Yeah. I wish it had just rained on me like in the movie. <laughs> Be like fucking Linus in the the rain, just dragging around my fucking blanket. Um, <laughs> I love the reindeer games comparison though, because this movie is for people that found reindeer games hard to follow. <laughs> I'll give you hard to follow. <laughs> uh, there you go. Reindeer games is a stupid fucking movie where you can have all these stupid twists and turns and still be entertaining. I mean, to be fair, you have crazy Gary Sinise in that, so... Charlie Theron. Nude. <laughs> for a good portion of the film. And that was also when she was young and bright-eyed and, like... Travolta butt. Travolta. No, sorry, Affleck butt. Affleck butt. I, I was about to say, we have yet to be blessed with Travolta butt here on uh, the summer of Travolta. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be stupid, embrace it. That's what. That's probably what drove me nuts about this more than anything, is it did not embrace its stupidity. It more or less just still tried to present itself as like a uh, we're a serious movie. Uh, same shit like issues I have with a lot of different action movies and why some action movies will endear themselves to me so deeply. Like the A Team, since we were just talking about it, knows how fucking dumb it is and embraces the stupidity, and that's why that succeeds on so many levels. With this, they should have just gone with it. Like fucking the fun remake uh, where uh, Seth Rogen plays. Travolta's mm-hmm. character, James Franco plays the no no no. Uh, Danny McBride plays the Sam Jackson role. Tay Diggs reprises his role <laughs> yes. and plays Tay Diggs. Uh, James Franco is a doctor. <laughs> well, where does Josh Gad fit in this equation? Uh, Josh Gad would be Wings, <laughs> the man behind it all. <laughs> Say when. And then Ribisi. Rubisi could reprise his role as well. No, Rubisi would be like a cameo, like a winking nod at the the viewers. He would be like a crazy person in the hospital <laughs> that they're trying to restrain. But then he shows up at the end when they're all having dinner. He was also part of it. He was cooking. He's cooking. <laughs> they call him Colonel. And then he winks <laughs> at the camera and it's over. Oh, man. It's just tale as old as time. These action movies that can't find their groove. Um, I think more than any other genre, there's probably like a far bigger amount of bad action movies than any other film genre, just because one clunkiness two not embracing, you know, what you're going for. And three, not enough Harry Connick Jr. (laughs) This movie could have very much benefited from more Harry Connick Jr. Man, that's really going to drive me. As soon as we stop recording, I'm going to look up Joey Tribbiani's doctor's name. I told you Drake Ramore. Is that it? I'm pretty sure. I that's thought you were just making shit up. I thought no, it was no, Nick no. something. No, it's Drake Ramore. Oh, you were just humoring me. No, that's really. Yes. I'm pretty sure that's it. I do that a lot. All right, Julio <laughs> thinks he's right. Let's drop it and move on. And then I'll check. <laughs> this time you said it out loud. And then I'll tweet to Chaz and be like, "Hey, <laughs> did you hear what Julio said?" <laughs> uh, no, Travolta was a pilot. <laughs> I'm out. I'm like, I've shot my. You're angry, wide. Yeah. Um you know, I, I think, to add insult to injury, I think James Vanderbilt uh, directed Zodiac, which we mentioned the last episode. Uh, directed? Or it's a wrote. Okay. He wrote it. Uh, and I am pulling it right now. He He's a pretty well-known writer. Oh, well. Okay. So, so he wrote Zodiac. 
but he also wrote Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. So those are the recent ones. Yes. Okay. Those are the ones that suck. Amazing Spider-Man 1 has that awesome montage. I'm sure that Vanderbilt didn't write that. He just to our faithful listeners, one of my all-time favorite venting sessions I ever got from Julio was him talking shit about the first Amazing Spider-Man. And who's the gentleman that plays the lizard in that? Uh, fuck. That guy, he's British. Yeah. The, you refer to it as the arm orgasm. Right. When, yeah. he's, when he's, his arm is growing back, his lizard arm is growing. And he's like panting and moaning. and Yeah, he's, a, he's having an orgasm. I just remember arm orgasm really, really popped me, and that was great. So, next up on the Summer of Travolta, our next stop, 1970s New York City. We're back to... The concrete jungle. The good stuff. The good stuff. Um, my God, Saturday Night Fever. I haven't seen it. Ever? Ever. Motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> you hadn't seen Basic. I gave you that gift. Yes. Let's <laughs> put those on the same level. What did you say this was like when I when this movie was over? I, righteous Kill? Righteous Kill is... <laughs> righteous Kill is like on the same artistic level as fucking... Uh, American beauty compared to this shit. Um, they have they have the same twist. One of them, at least. Yeah, at least in Righteous Kill, all we have is one twist. And then a so uncomfortable it has to be artistic scene of a sweaty Robert De Niro pounding Carlo Gugino. God. That's one of the, I, I think of that when I think of that movie. That one static shot in the hallway where all you see is like him at the end of the couch. Just, eh, eh. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Saturday Night Fever is fantastic. I have the soundtrack on vinyl. We can listen to it to get in the mood for it. And I also own the Blu-ray. So we're going to watch which version? The real one. The R-rated one. All right, good. Yeah. Plenty of uh, sexual assault for, for you to take home. I'm old enough to take it, so... Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about all that, the whole two versions of the film, why it was released that way. Uh, but Saturday Night Fever is what uh, yielded John Travolta his first Oscar nomination. So there I you go. I know that. Yep. And, man, he's such a badass in that movie. Very excited about that. Following up, uh, Saturday Night Fever will be? We're doing Blowout. Blowout, okay. Which neither of us has seen. Correct. And then we're doing Swordfish. Whew. More Travolta as a villain. Yeah. That's when Holly Berry was ready to take over the world. That's Hugh Jackman starting to take over the world. That's right. Hugh Jackman is in that as well. Okay. So winding down here, I appreciate you all listening to me vent. Uh, that was a movie. So it's not a real talk. It's a real vent. A real vent, yeah. No, that it was just frustrating. It was just such a fucking mess that it just more than anything just aggravated me. So uh, in conclusion here, before we get to plugs, we'll start with the number one plug, which is the Festive Years. Uh, their album, Don't Let Me Use You, they provided us two tracks, the opening track, uh, Last Stand, closing track, Summer of 99. As always, greatly appreciated. And then the man behind our awesome logo, Hans Rothgeiser, he uh, he can do your logo. You can just contact him. Uh, his email address is mildemonios at hotmail.com. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. Or you can find him on Twitter. Also at Mildemonios. Uh, and he also has a podcast that we always plug. It's called Nacion Combi. And it's a podcast about stuff that happens in Peru, mostly. Every now and then they'll talk about international stuff as it relates to Peru. Mm. Uh, all of it in Spanish. So if you're learning Spanish, 
excellent way to practice. If you're not learning Spanish, excellent motivator to learn Spanish because they sound like they're having so much fun. I didn't have a plug on the previous episode. Uh, watch that episode of King of the Hill, a firefighting we will go. That's really I've been watching a lot of King of the Hill lately. Someone I think I'd mentioned this on a previous episode. Uh, oh, it's so, still there. Yeah, they haven't taken it the down. The fucking yet. warrior that uploaded. Well, what keeps happening? I notice is I've had the page. It's on earmarked, but it seems like every other day they're changing the name of it to something else. Just like Texas cartoon and shit like that. So, um, yeah, King of the Hill's great. And then to King of the Other Hill. <laughs> Where is the hill? <laughs> Uh, tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of the Undertaker and Mick Foley's Hell in a Cell match from King of the Ring 1998. Uh, very, very, very important. I, I always feel weird using the phrase art when talking about pro wrestling, but at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's not, it is what it is. That is a very, very important piece of history and art to me. Uh, I remember not vividly. You get vivid memories, probably like 13, 14. Um, I know. Some traumatic stuff would probably yeah. play in Technicolor. Uh, well, we're not talking about traumatic things. <laughs> yeah, I was 11 watching this, and I do remember, especially my dad's reaction. Match is fucking crazy. If I can find a link of it to plug, I'll send it. But go out of your way to find that, even if you're not a wrestling fan. It's something that, in a really weird way, uh, when I was a little kid watching it live, it was just like, that was weird. Uh, and then growing up, especially in my, like my late teens, it was like a big, like I watched it repeatedly cause it, uh, affected me a lot like the Ramones music did. And that like this working really hard for your grind and your passion, despite all the setbacks that are thrown at you, things of that nature to see what you can produce and accomplish. It was, it's something that obviously means a lot to me. I don't think anyone's ever really talked this deep about a pro wrestling match, at least on this podcast, but uh yeah i'll try to find a link if not it's on the award-winning WWE network and um go out of your way to look it up that's very easy to find very historic match but that's a uh, undertaker and mcfoley from king of the ring 1998 20th anniversary is tomorrow june what is tomorrow the 26th 26th yeah well this will be posted on july 15th uh, it's gonna be tomorrow june 28th go for it first i have a uh what do you call it? Not that correction. Just more like a... Uh, I don't know. What do you call it when you have to admit that you actually like something more than you did when you were recording the episode <laughs> where you discussed this? Uh, a takesies backsies? <laughs> not quite. I'm not taking it all the way back. I just have to admit that the fucking Grease soundtrack has a been referendum. stuck in my head. <laughs> I, I... Because, you know, we watched the movie and then I had to edit the episode and in editing the episode, I had to listen to all the good things we said about it, mm-hmm. plus listening to the music to just put in some of it along the episode. And then before you know it, I was at the gym and I really wanted to work out to uh, uh, Born to Hand Jive. And I can only blame you for that, No, Alex. You can blame the crazy kids at Rydell High for that. Uh, I still think it's a, it's a two and a half movie for me, dog. <laughs> but uh, but the soundtrack is it's definitely I've over this crazy process I've it's grown on me more than it did the past what ten fifteen years. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you brought that follow up to the table to hear you say those things. Cause... It's it's only fair. It's, so now we'll just have to get you to watch the movie a few more times to fully embrace it. it this is what's crazy about it. Like if there was. Uh, 
if it was on TV, I wouldn't change the channel. What I did, I've rewatched the 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 whole hand jive dance sequence. The right. American National Bandstand, whatever. You should go back and rewatch that because, like, a lot of that is like just it's a series of long, continuous takes. So, like, the choreography and like, especially uh, Jeff Conaway, he steals that. I mean, Travolta in the end steals everything, but like. There's this especially long, almost it feels like a 30-second shot of, like, this crazy choreography and him just, I don't know. It's so rare you see white guys look cool, <laughs> and so that movie is kind of filled with that. That's probably why I cling to it so much, because we don't have many cool guys. Travolta was one of them until... Gotti. <laughs> no. We'll get there. He threw in the towel long before then. <laughs> um, okay, and then my actual plug... So, season five of Arrested Development. I know you don't. You haven't watched the show, Alex. Correct. Um, someday you might, and you'll enjoy it. It's it fits the Mattis rule. It's under thirty minutes. Uh, it's I think the first three seasons are universally loved, and then Netflix put out the fourth season, which was uh, I don't know how much you know about this, but basically they. They got everybody back, but because everybody is now m- a much bigger actor than they were back then, mm-hmm. it was really hard to get them all together to to have scenes to interact as much as they did in the first three seasons. So what they do is, in season four, they they dedicate episodes to specific characters. So you have two or three episodes that are just Jason Bateman-centric, and the other characters make cameos. Uh, and then do two episodes based on... Uh, uh, fuck... I can't even tell you. You don't know the names of the people. But, you know, they'll do all the other characters. Michael Sarah gets two episodes and so on. But it's all interlinked. It's all telling one bigger story in addition to the single stories that they're telling. Interesting. So it gets pretty complex toward the end. I honestly... Like basic complex? Not quite. Because, one, it's funny. <laughs> and, and, two, having rewatched it now, it, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that at the time, it's just... It's not what you're used to with the rest of development... And it's not what they're used to with comedies in general. So it's, I remember coming out of season four, feeling pretty happy. I didn't a cliffhanger and just, you know, I was happy and ready for season five. And of course, season five didn't happen until just recently. Um, a lot of people didn't like it, didn't care for it. They thought that yeah, Netflix had blown it. Um, about a month before the release of season five, uh, the creator of Arrested Development, he released a remix of season four where he just cut all the footage that they'd had and instead of having the character-centric episodes, mm-hmm. he cut them to where he could do as, as much as possible, just intermingle all the stories. And uh, so I started rewatching that before watching season five. I, at the beginning, like the first, I don't know, six episodes or so, I wasn't a big fan of it. I still think that the original cut is funnier. I think it's better. Uh, this new cut, because there's it wasn't intended. The material wasn't intended to be presented this way. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of voiceover explaining stuff. Nice. That you know, I, I, it's it's funny because it's Ron Howard doing it, but uh, it's I like it better when it, it, there wasn't so much voiceover. Uh, but anyway, it I've watched it because I knew that the experience of watching season four was dense. It's a lot of storytelling there, and I didn't I didn't want to jump into season five mm-hmm. uh, without having my memory refreshed. Now while I'm doing this, there are people that just jumped into season five. And I started seeing stuff on my Facebook and on my Twitter. People just going, season five sucks. I can't believe that now I hate Arrested Development and blah, blah, blah. And 
I'm trying to ignore it because, of course, I don't want to be influenced. But I, I started getting worried. And then I I went out of town uh, last week and I went to visit my friend Drew, who was one of the naysayers who hadn't even finished season five because he just disliked wow. it so much. Yeah. And he was the guy that introduced me to the rest of the development. And uh, so we watched. He's like, do you want to watch it just so you can check it out? And I said, let's watch the last two episodes of season four. And then so it's a warm up and then we get into season five. So we did. And we ended up watching three episodes of season five because we were just laughing so hard. And he told me, and I could have guessed, he's like, you know, the experience of rewatching the last two of season four really made a difference <laughs> <laughs> when it came to watching season five. Because, speaking. well, yeah, it gives you a lot more context that you might have already forgotten about. And uh, it, it sets the tone. It really, I can't imagine walking in season five just completely cold. Yeah. And, uh, Dude, it's so good. I, I I can't wait to watch the rest. They put up eight episodes, and there's eight more episodes. The second half of the season coming out later. Uh, and they're just... Everybody's as funny as you wanted them to be. At least I wanted them to be. Uh, Michael Sarah, I was I was re-watching some of season four yesterday while I was eating. And that might be his best role. Really? Uh, George Michael and Arrested Development. That's his name, George Michael. Yeah. And that... Uh, He's just so funny, and of course you see him grow because he's just like a young teenager when the show starts, and now in season five he's a young adult, and uh, he's still really funny. Jason Bateman, of course, he's just if you're a Jason Bateman fan and you are, oh yeah, we both are. Yeah, you watch Ozark. Yeah, it's great. Uh, He's just fantastic. Everybody, everybody is amazing at that show. So that is my plug. Watch season five, but before watching season five, watch at least some of season four. Just rewatch the whole thing. Just to properly get, set your palate. Yeah, get caught up. Remember, all there's so much going on, and it's a show that's so clever. It keeps like giving you throwbacks to stuff that happened, you know, episodes and episodes Dude, ago. I've, I've started. I just only got like two episodes into the new season of Kimmy Schmidt, and it's like exhausting. <laughs> it's a lot like that Thirty Rock thing of like you can watch the same episode five times and pick up something new. Each yep. Time. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Good television, really. Let's not complain about uh, about complex storytelling uh, that actually gets it right, as opposed to complex storytelling that's just complex for the sake of being, being complex. complex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking at you, John McTiernan. All right. Well, that was basic. Those are our plugs. We are the Contrarians. Uh, we will see you next time for Saturday Night Fever, which I'm very excited about. Uh, but in the meantime, we always appreciate your listen. Uh, y'all take care. Remember, we're right, you're wrong. The summer of 
For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful. <laughs>